This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, howdy, hey, Hardwood Knox people. I am Dan Favalli coming at you not only without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey, but solo today. Andy, being a lawyer, has court today, and I had a guest scheduled, but they needed to cancel. I thought about just skipping the pod since it's Friday, and our Friday podcasts don't do as many numbers since people, I'm sure, get caught up in the weekend, but I am so devoted to you, and there's a lot of news and rumors to catch up on in the NBA, so we're going to go through that, talk some hypothetical trades. There should be a trade idea-specific pod from us coming soon as well, so keep that in mind. Before we get started, I just want to get through the usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, please remember to continue helping out the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. You can also Rate, review, subscribe to us wherever else you're getting your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, all those great places. But iTunes is still just the best way to really help us get the name out there for the podcast. And we're still battling those Kyle Kuzma enthusiasts who rated down the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Follow our YouTube channel. We are posting every podcast that we do there in addition to some fun video edits that I will make from time to time. It's just YouTube. Go there, youtube.com, search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, subscribe, and like all our videos. That's how you can also be a superhero, even if you don't use YouTube to get your podcast. Subscribe to us anyway and like our videos. It helps us out as well. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter, also at Hardwood Knox. I am at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. And please be sure to follow Blue Wire on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. Fantastic network. We have a lot of great podcasts there, and obviously... Since I'm running the social media account, you know the tweets are straight fire. Finally, um, this is probably a good prep work pod for the the daily episodes that we plan on beginning to drop, where they'll essentially be these news updates, but will be solo mailbags so that we can really get to questions that you have since we're always overwhelmed with responses whenever we solicit them. It's going to be a test run to see how it goes. We would eventually like to set up a premium account where it would be extra, um, a small fee per month for us to do those podcasts, but there would be you know between three and four of them every single week, if not, if not five. So you'd be getting a ton of extra content. They will, however, be posted on our regular feed. It was initially going to be for a week, but it looks like it might be for a couple because one, that'll give us a pulse on how many people are interested in them. Two, it'll make sure that we can get into the routine of posting them daily. And three, there's a lot of back-end stuff that we need to hammer out over the next couple weeks. So look forward to that. It should be beginning next week. Uh, we might have a regular episode out on Monday, so it perhaps won't start till Tuesday. But be on the lookout for those. Uh, we hope you enjoy them. And again, this will be a good primer for for how those are, are going to roll. So let's hop to it. It's weird talking to myself, but hey, I sing in the shower and when I'm alone and when I'm writing and basically all the time. So maybe it's just like that. 
I'm going to begin with, I don't know if you guys heard, but Zion Williamson made his debut, NBA regular season debut, on Wednesday night against the Spurs. It was, I wouldn't say discouraging, but definitely quiet through the first three quarters. It seemed like he was super passive in the first half. Um, Came out a little bit more aggressive in the second half, but it wasn't until a three-minute stretch in the fourth quarter that he exploded for for 17 points. Um, We also saw that he can really just move for for rebounds and that his, his second jump is is incredible. His final line, 22 points, seven rebounds, three assists, also had five turnovers. It'll be fun to watch him moving forward. He was four of four from three. They were super duper wide open threes, I'd say, but you know what? That's okay. Those are the shots that he's going to get until he proves that he can knock them down at a high clip. And if he does, you know, close to league average rate, above league average rate, that's going to make the Pelicans job that much easier. Uh, they, They are still in the playoff hunt. They lost that game against the Spurs. Uh, but in the loss column, they are now five games back of the Spurs with the Suns, Blazers, and Grizzlies in front of them also. That's going to be tough ground to make up, but they do have the league's easiest schedule remaining, so that helps. And they're at full strength, which they obviously haven't been all season because of Zion, but they've been dealing with injuries to Derek Favors and, and Lonzo Ball and even Drew Holiday as well. So just even having those guys together and, and ready to go could end up being huge for them. The thing that I'm really looking to see over the next few weeks is how Zion plays next to Brandon Ingram. Uh, There was only seven minutes that they shared the floor uh, during that first game. Uh, The Pelicans were minus one, nothing really of note to see there, but uh, the Pelicans do have a lot of ball handlers with Ingram, Drew Holiday, and Lonzo Ball. And so while Zion can get a lot of his points within the flow of the offense, as we saw in that debut, and that they're not going to necessarily call these plays for him, that's just something to monitor. I'm also interested to see whether the Pelicans are going to play Zion with J.J. Redick more extensively at any point. I know while he's on a minutes cap and playing with the starters and being pulled early, that will be a little bit tougher since Redick is then coming off the bench. But that seems like a natural fit alongside Zion just because, yes, if he's hitting those super-duper wide-open threes, that's great. But in theory, he does compromise your spacing a little bit. And if you're also going to have minutes where Ingram and Ball and Holiday, or even just two of them are on the court with Zion at the same time, having that safety valve of of J.J. Redick feels like it could be huge. And speaking of the Pelicans, they are in the rumor mill, sort of. People have been waiting for them to sell. That being said, just before Zion's debut Adrian Wojnarowski, as I pause for no reason whatsoever, said on SportsCenter that they've really pulled back in trade talks. Uh, ESPN's Brian Windhorst on the jump also said that he's heard they are looking to be buyers, uh, which would be incredibly interesting. I don't, there are also some people, uh, Zach Lowe mentioned this on his pod, it was just his opinion, it wasn't a report, but he was waiting to see whether they actually might become sellers over the next week or so if, if they fall a little bit further out of the playoff picture. There's a lot of optionality there because, yeah, if if they struggle over the next couple of weeks against an easier schedule, then I think you do have to look at maybe selling off some of some of those veterans. I myself would be more inclined to stand pat if only because one, you're not going to do much to improve the value of your draft pick by trading a Drew Holiday and JJ Redick. Now, no one's really hyping up the 2020 draft class, and also you're going to still get, I would say, close to the same value, if not the actual same value for both of them on the trade market. This summer, uh, Reddick's under contract for next year. Drew Holiday has two years left on his deal. Uh, player option on that that final season. 
Derek Favors, looking at moving him, there might be some more sense of urgency there since he's entering free agency. But, you know, he's been injured, so I don't know what you would actually get for him. Uh, maybe the Mavericks would, would want him on the team. They're a team we're going to talk about in the second in a second. But what are you actually going to get for him? I would hazard it's just more valuable to have his his bird rights in free agency and see whether you want to run this back or sign him to a next deal that's maybe a little bit more tradable because it's at a lower annual number over a longer period of time. And so if I'm the Pelicans, if push comes to shove and I'm not in a position to buy, I, I still don't think I would sell unless someone comes with a godfather offer for any one of JJ Redick or, or Drew Holiday, or of course, Derek Favors. Looking at the potential for them to buy, I'm not really sure what they they could do. Uh, this isn't a team that should be attaching first round picks to anybody, but they do have some interesting salary filler. I mean, maybe Derek Favors could be used to help them buy a little bit if they're that confident in what Jackson Hayes has done. And he's just been he's been fantastic. Probably easily, I think if I made my All NBA rookie teams right now, he would make make the fourth team pretty comfortably. Uh, so you do have that option, but I think the the more likely scenarios would be, can you upgrade from the, the Etwan Moore expiring salary or even the, the Darius Miller who's salary who's out for the year, but he's non-guaranteed next season. So his $6.9 million salary can theoretically be used to help another team save money. One of the names that I've kept coming back to for them is if they were just looking to get an, an upgrade on the wing, someone who they know is going to try defensively and has shown that he can hit threes, Tony Snell, you know, not someone who could dribble a bunch as a player option for next year, but maybe the Pistons thinking that one, they're going through a rebuild, and two, maybe he picks up that player option. Uh, they would rather just get off of that money. So Darius Miller for Tony Snell works straight up, and with Detroit being so close to the tax as it is right now, getting that extra breathing room would be absolutely huge. And so that's something that I guess they could look at. A lot of people have mentioned Robert Covington. I just think the price would be too high there. Maybe you can lower it by taking back Gorgie Jang in a deal. But he's also been not too bad this year, and he really helped the Timberwolves' defense while Carl Anthony Towns is at, was out. So maybe they're just not as urgently inclined to get off the, the final season of his contract when he's when he's owed $17.3 uh, million, excuse me. Uh, but again, that could be an avenue to look at. Jay Crowder would be another name that might be fun on this team, uh, but that is dependent upon the Grizzlies actually selling. And I don't know that anyone knows that, that they're going to do that. Uh, they're so close to the to the playoff picture in the West. They are still the nine seed right now. And they're only one game back in the loss column of the San Antonio Spurs. And they might decide it's better to have Jay Crowder's bird rights there. Uh, you're not going to make a play for Andre Godala just because I'm pretty sure he wants to play for a bona fide contender, which is what New Orleans is not right now. The price for Marcus Morris would probably be too high. If they're looking to go a little bit, of the cheaper route, could they look at Reggie Bullock, a name that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes as well, from the Knicks, who's, uh, you know, he's been, he missed most of the year so far. He he had back surgery, I believe, over the summer. But since he's come back, he's, he's played a ton of minutes. He shot the three ball fairly well. And one of the most attractive things with him is that uh, he has a 4.2 non-guaranteed, 4.2 million non-guaranteed salary next year. So he's effectively under team control if you get them for that second season. And at $4.2 million, that's that's a heck of a, a price tag. So, you know, what do you give up? Can you do Darius Darius Miller for, for Bullock? And are you willing to attach uh, a pick 
to that. Obviously, not a first-round pick. He's he's certainly not worth that. But New Orleans does have Milwaukee's second-round pick. That's not valuable. They have Washington's second-round pick this year. Maybe that's something that that they could look at. Um, they just have a bunch of seconds moving forward, including Washington's 2021 second-round pick. Maybe that's more of a middle ground because Wall will be back next season as well. So the Pelicans are a team to watch at the trade deadline for myriad reasons. Um, the Mavericks. This is a, a biggie too. Dwight Powell suffered a ruptured right Achilles. Uh, he's going to be out for the year. Uh, he's definitely, I would assume, based on timetables for what we know with these injuries, unless you're, you're Wesley Matthews, apparently going to miss a, a good portion of, of next year. Um, that will be something to monitor. Everyone now expects them to go after a trade for a big man, and we know they are already in the market for a wing. A lot of people have been mentioning Aaron Baines, but here's where things get weird with the Mavericks is that it doesn't always show up with Dwight Powell's numbers and he's not the best defensive player, but the appeal for him in Dallas specifically is that he's willing to shoot threes. He's a, he's a very good role man out of uh, after he's setting screens and he can guard fours. And so that's a borderline perfect fit next to Kristaps Porzingis. Maybe you want Dwight Powell to be, just a much better shooter in general, where he's just one of the the best high volume three point shooters in the NBA. That that's the ideal player alongside Kristaps Porzingis, and Powell comes close to it if he was hitting his threes. But the fact that he's willing to shoot them again, not super high volume. He's only attempted forty this year. That does help, and you don't necessarily need him, I guess, to shoot as much. It's the it's the rim running that's important because you have Porzingis spotting up from behind the arc so often. Aaron Baines, has his three-point percentage is cooled after that hot start, and so I don't know uh, how interesting that would be. He's an okay role guy. He's certainly an upgrade over a, a, a Boban, for sure. But can he defend fours? That's definitely a question. I think lineups with him and Porzingis would get pretty wonky. You want to at least make sure that KP is allowed to just be in his wheelhouse as, as a rim protector. I don't think Baines really allows them to do that. An interesting name that I thought of, because you do have the Courtney Lee expiring contract, is Marvin Williams. Uh, I think he's someone in that offense who could be a pretty good role man. We know that he can hit threes. Defending fours might get a little dicey, but he can do it. And so that's a name I'd look at. He's not playing a ton in Charlotte as they lean into the youth movement. Some people have identified him as a buyout candidate. I'd be a little bit surprised if they don't move him, if that actually happens, unless he asks for it, because it seems like he's a pretty valuable part of that locker room dynamic. That being said, if Dallas is offering Courtney Lee and attaching a second round pick, I don't know if you go with Golden State's second rounder in that scenario. Maybe you do um, when you're not also getting a wing back in that deal. That's a little tough. That's a name that they could certainly look at. Robert Covington is another player that's popped up uh, and, and been linked to them a ton. I'm assuming the price on him is just too high for for what the Mavericks can can really offer when you're looking at their future pick commitments. They don't have an imminent first rounder that they could trade after acquiring Kristaps Porzingis last year. They do have that second rounder from from Golden State. That's somewhat appealing. They have Utah's second rounder. That's not really appealing. Um, they have Miami's 2023 second rounder. They're going to get the more favorable of their own pick and Miami's pick that year. That's just so far out. And they also have their own 2022 uh, second round pick. They do have Justin Jackson. They do have Dalen Brunson. They have DeLon Wright. Uh, Brown Townsend of the Dallas Morning News says they're against giving up Justin Jackson and Jalen Brunson. I think that's inexplicable. I would give up either one of them if it meant 
substantially upgrading the roster and certainly Justin Jackson. That's not someone that I would look at and say, hey, we, we need to keep keep this guy. I've mentioned Thaddeus Young as a player for them. Uh, I think he makes even more sense now. There, there's a chance he becomes this liability in the playoffs because teams are really going to sag off him. But if he's allowed to set screens, I think he can function as a role man as well at the four. We know he can defend power forwards in addition to a bunch of other positions on the court. And maybe he just comes close to hitting, you know, 33, 35% of his threes or something while he's in Dallas because of the quality of looks that, that Luca is going to be generated him. But he does, I think he can do the rim running portion and he's certainly going to help out defensively Lee and maybe, you know, a distant second, Dallas's own second for him, I would think might get it done unless Chicago just just really values him. He is under contract next season for $13.5 million. Uh, the third year of his deal at $14.2 million is non-guaranteed, though, so that fits with Dallas's timeline if they, in fact, want to keep up uh, their 2021 cap space projections right now. Something else they could look at, since they do want a wing-ish player who can score, uh, might be trying to expand that trade, and I don't want to you know go too deep into the weeds because this I have it as a note for our trade idea podcast that's eventually going to get dropped. Can you go Delon Wright, Courtney Lee, maybe that GSW, uh, GSW like you guys are looking at my my Google Doc and are going to necessarily know what that means? The Golden State Warriors second for Thomas Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young. Does that get it done? Both of those guys are in the first year of their three-year deals with their their non-guaranteed salaries in the, in the final seasons. That that would be something that could help. I, I'm just curious to see how much the Bulls, with where they are right now, it doesn't seem like they have a concrete direction, how much they, they value those players. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to a deal like that, though, if I'm Dallas, and I'd definitely be willing to include another second in there if that's what it took uh, to get both those players, if we're looking at, at the bigger contract. Uh, another name I, I guess that they could look at as well is could you get Robert Covington from the Timberwolves if you're willing to take back Gorgie Jang? That's the other thing we talked about before is do the Timberwolves view his salary for next season as a liability? If there are if they are looking out to get under it um, from that from that money, or and maybe they think Delon Wright's just going to be a more attractive trade piece. This summer, you could do something like Courtney Lee, DeLon Wright, and Justin Jackson, plus the GSW pick for Jang and Robert Covington. Could you throw in another second-round pick? Does that get it done? I don't know. My guess would be that Minnesota wants to get at least one first-round pick or caliber prospect in in any deal uh, for Covington, regardless of whether they're cutting salary. You could look at... Uh, Jalen Brunson permutations, but you can't give up both DeLon Wright and Jalen Brunson uh, in the same deal unless you're getting someone back who can score off the dribble, which Covington's not going to be. And if you remove Wright's salary from this construction, it gets a li- it gets a lot harder to, to to make the money work unless you include a Boban or a Seth Curry. And I don't see why Minnesota would necessarily be interested in Boban. Um, I would be willing to give him up if I'm Dallas there because how many minutes can he play for you anyway? And then I think Jang might be a little bit weird defending fours, but I think he's mobile enough to do it. We've seen that he's at least willing to shoot the three ball in the past. And and he, again, in Dallas, his offense specifically is someone that I think can work as the role guy. So so that's a scenario to look at. The final one, people have mentioned Odon Bogdanovich as a target. doesn't really fit their big men need, but the Kings do have Dwayne Dedman. not playing, wants out, has a partial guarantee on the third year of his contract. So if you want to get rid of him then, 
He is someone that won't really crimp into your 2021 cap space. I don't know. The fact that the Kings haven't moved him, I'm wondering if that means they've encountered teams that want him but are want an asset back, like a second-round pick. Um, is Sacramento willing to go Courtney Lee, DeLon Wright, and that Golden State Warrior second for Dwayne Denman and Bogdanovich? That, again, might be a little low. At the same time, having Wright's contract, someone who's a defensive upgrade on the wings for them, you know uh, you can have him under team control for two seasons after this, whereas Bogey is going to cost you a ton in restricted free agency, and you might not necessarily get him at a price point that can be readily moved, at least for for assets later on. There are not a lot of teams with cap space this summer, but restricted free agents, if they are valuable, that they they always do seem to find a way to get uh, good offer sheets from other teams. And you know what? He's not particularly young, but maybe a New York or a Charlotte or a a Memphis or a Cleveland comes in with a a big offer. And he already turned down a four-year, $51.4 million extension in October. And so the Kings do have to factor in that cost. Again, I don't think Dallas has enough to get a deal like that done. If you were going for bogey straight up, uh, there's the Jalen Brunson, uh, Justin Jackson, uh, Courtney Lee permutation, where maybe you take back a smaller salary that's not Deadman in addition um, to to bogey from Sacramento, but that just gets a little bit more complicated unless the Kings really have experienced that Deadman is essentially viewed as, as dead money. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that's a deal they consider. And I'm also not sure that Deadman does everything that uh, Dallas is going to need. He can, we saw it last season. He can space the floor. He's actually an underrated uh, defensive uh, presence on the defensive glass. Excuse me. In my opinion, uh, he can be used as a role man when there's enough space, which Dallas will of course have, the defensive chemistry between him and Christoph Porzingis, though, that could get a little weird just looking at who should be defending fours. Deadman is, is much more switchable than I think people realize, but to have him full-time cover fours, um, some guys who can actually operate off the bounce, I'm, I'm not sure if he has that in him like Powell did or and Maxi Kleba still does. Moving on, the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, there was a great piece published at the F- Athletic where they pulled back the curtain and showed that there was this awkwardness in the locker room. Um, the trigger seems to be uh, tr- Montrez Harrell's comments a couple weeks back about the locker room's attitude overall. He reportedly was mad. He thinks his quotes were taken out of context, and the Clippers, I guess, have seemed closer together since then. Uh, but they they are a little bit rocky, and there's a question about the leadership, um, about how players are reacting to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George getting such preferential treatment. It doesn't seem like it helps that Kawhi is is not the vocal leader, and and neither is Paul George, and so that might be skewing in interpretations of how they feel about their teammates. Uh, but it doesn't seem like they're on the verge of imploding. That's not what the piece really got at, but it was just something interesting to monitor and they are a team that might need to shake things up at the trade deadline. They could use an upgrade from the Mo Harkless, Patrick Patterson minutes. There's a case to be made that they could use another or they could use an actual conventional floor general. I don't think finding necessarily another shooter is as important now that Landry Shamit's playing a little better and and healthy. Um if the point guard that you would get or another guard that you would get can shoot that that obviously helps, but you have Lou Williams, you have Kawhi Leonard, you have Paul George, all those guys can run pick and roll, but they're not these pass first playmakers, which is what Dallas sort of seems to lack. And then 
what seems like maybe their their chief most need is another big man. Um, they have Zubats, but what happens when he gets and he's played pretty well this year? But what happens when he gets played off the floor in the postseason? Because that is going to happen. He is not matchup proof. And then you do have Montrezl Harrell, who's playing fantastic on offense and is really just this lightning bolt of energy, um, wire to wire every single night. But using him defensively at center, that's not going to fly in most playoff matchups either. He's not this fantastic rim protector, and, and he's not going to, to really cover a ton of ground in the half court, um, nor is he necessarily the physical force that they need on the defensive end. They have been linked to Aaron Baines in Phoenix, per Bleacher Report's Eric Pincus, but as the New York Times' Mark Stein noted, Phoenix isn't actively shopping Baines. Uh, that kind of makes sense. I mean, one, they're still, he has cooled off, but they're still in the playoff picture out West. We were just talking about the Pelicans. The Suns are closer um, to the eight seeded Spurs than the Pelicans. They are three games back in the loss column with the Blazers and Grizzlies in front of them before the Spurs as well. At the same time, he is going to be a free agent this summer. I don't know if he'll get a huge raise from the $5.5 million that he's earning now, but you already have DeAndre Ayton. How much are you willing to invest in your backup center, particularly when Dario Saric is going to be a, a restricted free agent as well? How much do they do they value him? Can you partner those two together? Maybe that's a trade that makes sense for Dallas, but do they have the requisite assets going out to to get both of those guys? I don't know. You certainly have to look at moving Baines if you're if you're Phoenix. But what do the Clippers really have to get him? I think is the problem. Your are you willing to give up your first round pick for Baines? Maybe, but you have to pay Harrell this summer. You've already paid Zubats. Uh, his contract is not huge, but if you keep all three of those guys, that front court, that center rotation, Harrell can spend some time at the four, obviously. That's pretty pricey pretty quick, and then you've now burned one of your best roster-building assets in your first-round pick moving forward. You could move one of those guys, Zubats or Harrell, as part of a deal for Baines. I don't know necessarily why Phoenix would want Zubats when they already have Aiton. Uh, he's on a four-year, $28.5 million deal, uh, so he has three, three left on his contract after this. Maybe they view that as good money for their backup center, I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm not opposed to the Clippers moving Harrell. I just don't think he's a great fit uh, beside Aiton unless one of them starts chucking threes. And so that removes him from the equation. What are you giving up then? Are you looking at moving Rodney Magruder and then your first round pick? Um, Rodney Magruder and Jerome Robinson, is that going to be a framework that interests Phoenix? Uh, so the Clippers might need to get to this point where they're they're maybe waiting on the buyout market or focusing on cheaper bigs uh, and names. I was, you know, looking at these that don't immediately come to mind necessarily of the the, the types of targets that that they could go after. Uh, Willie Cauley Stein from Golden State should come fairly cheap, and the Warriors aren't going to care about helping a a conference rival. At the same time. It's, I'm not sure he's going to be exactly what they need. Maybe definitely more mobile defensively than Zubats, but is it enough of an upgrade for you to give up anything? Or is, or is the appeal there that, well, we at least know that we're not going to have to give up our, our first round pick in that scenario. And that's what's most attractive for you. So they are going to need to look for just a, a better 
big man fit. And you don't want to give up too much because, again, I do feel like there are other needs on this roster unless you know that Andre Godal is eventually going to get bought out by Memphis and he's coming to us instead of uh, going to the Lakers or that Darren Collison is coming out of retirement and going to the Clippers in, instead of the Lakers. That might make their decision a little bit easier. Otherwise, I think they have to keep their options open where maybe you don't upgrade at the big man spot. You, you try and do that on the wing spot using Harkless's contract. You you have your first. Um, Robert Covington would be great for them. I don't know that Harkless, Robinson, and a pick get you Robert Covington. Um, could you expand the deal? Maybe throw Zubots in there, uh, and then you're willing to take back Gorgie Jang? I honestly don't know. Um, and you would have to include other money in there to make it work. Minnesota does have a little bit more roster flexibility than most teams. So maybe you maybe you can get there. But uh, Jay Crowder could be someone that they look at. Are you giving up a first-round pick just to have his bird rights? And again, is Memphis even looking to move him? Marcus Morris has been mentioned for them as well. Um, you could go with maybe try and get both him and Reggie Bullock. Again, that doesn't really solve your big man problem. Is Taj Gibson a name that you can go with there? Uh, matching the money at that point gets a little bit difficult, and I don't know that you want to give up Harrell and a pick for for Morris and and Gibson, uh, a Gibson who's probably on his last legs. So combining both of them when they're when they're making twenty four million dollars, that's a trade that could be tough to strike. Just a bunch of names though to sort of monitor with regards to the Clippers. This is one of the most interesting notes I have here, though. Miami, according to Seth Partnow of The Athletic, was in serious discussions with Sacramento about acquiring Trevor Ariza. That is just not something that I necessarily saw coming. It does show that the Heat are maybe looking for an upgrade um, at the bigger forward spot because Jimmy Butler, as good as he's been defensively this year, by the way, when you look at the lineups that he's been in, they're definitively above average defensively, and yet he's routinely playing with three defensive liabilities. It's him at a bio, and then you have Dragic and Duncan Robinson and, and Tyler Hero and, and Kendrick Nunn and those mix of guys. Justice Winslow has missed a ton of time. He's made just one appearance since December 4th, and Miami really wasn't playing him and Butler together all that much to begin with. That being said, you don't want Butler to have to chase around the bigger wings. That's what Justice Winslow should be doing. So it sounds like they were trying to to beef up that spot, independent of having to give up Justice Winslow himself or or a prime asset. Uh, their their spot is tough because they they are hard capped. Uh, who are you going to go after? Jay Crowder is going to be another name that comes up. Is he someone that you could work out a deal for um, with Memphis? The problem is that they don't really have any matching salary to go out just for Jay Crowder. Uh, just looking at that small number. And what what are you going to give Memphis to to take on a you know Myers Leonard's expiring or can you convince them to take on a a Dion Waiters or a James Johnson or I I don't know if you need to convince them to take on Kelly Olynyk, but maybe you do when they have Jonas Valančiūnas, Jaron Jackson Jr. and and Brandon Clark already. It also kind of seems like their timeline is just a little bit quicker than than people expected. They're Contending for a playoff spot now, John Morant doesn't just look like a future all-star or fringe all-NBA player. He looks like he might be one of the top five, ten players in the league at some point. His his vision does it for me. I know everyone really talks about what he's doing off the dribble and, and his scoring, and he can hit some d- ridiculously difficult shots, and it also seems like he might be close to average defensively one day when you look at his physical tools and kind of the way he moves at different points in the half court. But his vision is really just what sells it for me. He's probably thrown more passes than anyone except for 
Luka Doncic after leaving his feet and the way that he can just not necessarily change his mind, but fake out defenders or, or see these passes that you don't even realize when he's already in the air. I'm flabbergasted constantly while watching him. And so are you willing to to take on a salary for next year? If you are, you know, maybe Miami's willing to go in pretty in pretty deep for a combined trade of Andre Godala and Jay Crowder if they know that Iggy is is willing to play for them this year. Uh, those two are, are going to make about $25 million combined. That's actually fairly easy um, for the Heat to get to when you look at the contracts they have. Might they consider moving Justice Winslow as part of that deal and then attaching him to Dion Waiters? And is that enough to get it done? I don't know if it is. I, I wouldn't give up a future first-round pick in that scenario unless what you're doing is getting off Johnson and, and Dion Waiters at the same time. But then you're down another asset because you've removed Justice Winslow from the equation. Another deal, and this might be a spoiler alert for our trade pod that I had thought a lot about, would be Dion Waiters, Justice Winslow, and Casey Akpala for Marcus Morris, Reggie Bullock, and Dennis Smith Jr. I don't know if that would be considered too much for the Heat. I know they like Justice Winslow. He's cheaper, younger, under team control. Marcus Morris doesn't come with bird rights, but he's making so much at $15 million. You don't need his bird rights to keep him. Your non-bird rights are going to be 120%. Uh, he's not making more than that. Does that concern you? Is he not? Is that not the type of player um, that they want? But you can acquire him with the thought of keeping him, and maybe you just um, consider him at least close to what Justice Winslow can be defensively. Maybe let's say 60 to 65 of Justice, a healthy Justice Winslow on defense, and then you know that you're just getting an offensive upgrade. He's not Winslow's the type of distributor that Winslow is, but he's shot pretty well on off the dribble threes and, and catch and shoot threes this year. And then Bullock, the appeal is another wing who can hit threes and he's going to be under team control at a cheap number. And then Dennis Smith Jr., distressed asset, seems like he wants out of New York. I don't know what you could get out of him, but if there's anyone that seems like he could benefit from the, the heat culture of rebooting or salvaging or just jumpstarting careers, looking at Duncan Robinson, uh, you're looking at Kendrick Nunn to some extent, looking at the money that Tyler Johnson was able to get because of what he did with Miami. Uh, it does seem like they might be a team that could really help uh, rescue what has quickly become a, a career in jeopardy. Uh, I don't think he's in danger of falling out of the league necessarily anytime soon, but his stock has plummeted. I don't know how they feel about Apollo when dra- after drafting him at number 32, but with Winslow being injured and getting the ability to get off of Waiter's contract, which I think any team is going to want more than just a first round pick to do that. Maybe not because this isn't the year that there are a ton of other teams looking to offload salary in advance of free agency. But if you can replace Waiters um, with someone like Marcus Morris and Bullock in the rotation, so you're getting two upgrades um, and all you have to do is give up Winslow and then you're getting back the Dennis Smith Dennis Smith Jr., maybe someone who helps contribute one day, at a, and he's on the books at, at a, on a cheap number next season, and you have Goran Dragic going into free agency this year. Just something to look at. Similar framework works for Daniil Gallinari in Oklahoma City. I'm just not convinced that they're going to look to blow it up this year. Gallo would be the one you'd think they move with free agency on the horizon, but with so few teams having cap space this year, you might be able to get more value from him in a sign-in trade or by just keeping him and then looking at moving him around next year's deadline, depending on how much he makes at that point. I, I don't know that Waiters Winslow for Gallinari would do it 
for um, Oklahoma City, and they would, you know, that money, it works, but it doesn't because OKC is still technically in the tax, and so you think that they're going to be looking to duck the tax in that scenario. Do they have another player that they can include where the salaries have to just match up almost perfectly um, because the Heat are hard capped, and so just throwing Andre Robertson in there isn't going to isn't going to work. Uh, maybe a Mike Muscala that brings them pretty close, but that's still not going to get OKC under the tax. And Dion Waiters pairing him with Justice Winslow—that's actually the cheapest variation that uh, Miami can build in this scenario. James Johnson makes too much money, um, so if you pair him with so if you pair him with Justice Winslow, you're going to run into the same problems. Maybe Myers Leonard and Justice Winslow, but then you're still asking OKC to take on dollars and in that scenario. The Heat, though, it does seem like, particularly of late, their defense has not been great since December 1st. Gallo doesn't really help with that. Obviously, it does also feel like they could use another on-ball creator, which is why Gallo would be of, of some interest. But they're, they're a team to watch the deadline. I feel like of anyone in the Eastern Conference, just looking at how good Milwaukee is and how limited Philadelphia is with the, with the trade assets that it can move, they feel like the Eastern Conference team most motivated or with the most incentive to actually make a deal and chase a bigger splash at the trade deadline. So keep an eye on them. Speaking of the Philadelphia 76ers, Josh Richardson has a strained left hamstring, so he will join Joel Embiid on the shelf. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks per Kevin O'Connor of the ringer. They've expressed interest in Daniel Gallinari's salary, uh, Daniel Gallinari. His salary though is the issue there because he's making 22 million and change, they don't have the filler to match that if they're not going to move one of their five main players. And we know they're not going to trade Ben Simmons just because he's on the poison pill provision. They're not trading Joel Embiid, uh, even though that that's some, some have theorized that maybe that might be the move one day and perhaps soon this summer, next summer, whatever they, maybe they do have to make a choice between Embiid or, or Simmons, but that crossroads is not coming right now. Al Horford, they're not, I would guess they're not going to move. I also don't know why OKC would want him um, when if they're moving Gallinari, they're, they're looking to sell. So unless you're giving Josh Richardson as part of that deal, or even Tobias Harris, another name where at his money, I don't know why OKC would be interested in him, even though he's on the fairly young side. I'd rather, if I'm them, just pay Gallinari this summer in free agency. He'll probably be on a shorter term deal at a much, 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 much cheaper number. Names that I feel like they should be linked more to, and I, I can't remember who reported this, but I do think they were of cursory mentioned for uh, Bodan Bodanovich in Sacramento. That's someone that would help them immediately. I, I, I don't, I question whether the Kings actually want to move him though, and the package would have to be Mike Scott, Zaire Smith, and then let's say OKC's first round pick this year, which becomes two seconds if it if it falls within its top twenty protections. So does that get it done? Could Philly just throw in their own pick this year instead? Does that get it done? I'm not sure, but if I'm the Sixers, I would consider it. I know you have to worry about paying Bogey this summer in free agency, but maybe the restricted free agent market squeezes him and you need someone else who can shoot while also handling the ball. That's why I found um, their repeated reported interest in Robert Covington so bizarre. Yes, he helps you defensively, but you don't need help defensively. And the draft equity it would cost um, to get him, it's not worth it when you're not filling your most glaring need. And then when it's for someone that's maybe not going to close most of the games for you, 
And they run into the same issue with Bogdanovich. He, he fills more of what they need just as a secondary playmaker, someone who can shoot in general, can also score a little bit off the, off the dribble. Don't think you're going to get a ton of motion out of him like you did Landry Shamit and, and J.J. Redick last year. He checks so many of the boxes, though, and yet because he's not going to close a lot of your games and because he's not or because he's going to cost you more money this offseason, how much are you willing to actually give up for him? That's why... My alternative name that has not been mentioned at all would be Thomas Sadoransky in Chicago. You can go with the same package, Zaire Smith, Mike Scott, and then include Atlanta's or the Knicks' 2020 second rounder. I don't think I'd go as far as in including both. Maybe you're getting Denzel Valentine as well as part of that deal, and perhaps that motivates you to to include um, the second second rounder. But the Bulls, I have no idea what they're doing Uh Jim Boylan, it seems like there's a disconnect between them and, and Larry Marketing. There needs to be some wholesale change there. I think they need to be in, in seller's mode, though, and so that they can really focus on developing kids who they are playing. But Larry Marketing all of a sudden seems hesitant to shoot and has just been relegated to this spot-up shooter. Um, just look and see if you can capitalize on some of the names you signed this summer. I already mentioned Thaddeus Young, but then, of course, Sadoransky. And so that's someone who... A little bit reluctant to shoot, but he can be that secondary playmaker, and he can he can hit threes, and he also has just some nice, as a lot of scouts say now, and, and writers wiggle when he when he gets in into the lane. Just some nice change of pace stuff that can throw defenses on tilt, and for that price, just given what's happened with Zaire Smith, I I would pay it, even though that Sato's probably not going to be closing any of your games. If everyone's healthy, particularly in the playoffs, still someone who would help you navigate um, just minutes in general is is pretty much plug and play, and so can play with any type of lineup that the Sixers throw out. Another name that people have mentioned for the Sixers is Derrick Rose, and that brings us to the Pistons, who reportedly, or it sounds like they want a first round pick for him per the Athletic. Dave DeFore mentioned it on the Nerdishy Wrote podcast, great podcast, check it out with Hardwood Knox alum. Mo Doc Heel is on there with Seth Part, Seth Part now as well. Always great conversation. I don't think they'll ultimately get a first round pick. Maybe it's in the form of a prospect. Um, do the Lakers include Kuzma and Filler for Derrick Rose? I question whether they should. I'm not the biggest Kyle Kuzma advocate, but when you look at just their dearth of wings who can defend the bigger wings. I don't know that you can give him up without getting another one of those players in return or knowing that you're going to, of course, get Andre Iguodala on the buyout market because Memphis was unable to move him. It's something to consider, though, because they need to figure out how to better navigate the LeBron James list minutes, the minutes when he's on the bench. Somewhat ironically, though, it's been the defense that has suffered the most during those stretches. Just getting an upgrade from Rondo, though, would be huge. And Rose has shot around a career high from the rim. Uh, He's in the top five of corner three-point assist thrown. So he's really going to put uh, defenses on edge. He's averaging close to 25 drives per 36 minutes, which is absolutely ridiculous. And he's been able to lead the Pistons while he's on the court to an above average offensive rating when, when he's the, the primary point guard. And, you know, that's, that's no small ask when you're in Detroit right now because of Blake Griffin being out and not really, he wasn't really playing and then he didn't play uh, great when he was on the floor to begin with. So uh, that, that is something worth considering. The Sixers have also been mentioned. He definitely doesn't help with their spacing, 
But if you're looking to maybe lean into Ben Simmons at center more, I, I, I don't know how feasible that is. Or maybe it doesn't need to be because you have Horford and Embiid, but maybe it also doesn't need to be that stark where you're pulling Horford and Embiid at the same time to get Simmons minutes at center. Get Al Horford to spot up more, and then you can use Ben Simmons as the screener. You still need someone to run those plays with him. Uh, and Derek Rose is someone who can really do that well. I I guess defenses are going to go under like crazy when Simmons is the screener and Rose is the ball handler in that situation. But if they were looking to unlock more of, of that combination, Rose is someone who could do it. And I wouldn't be opposed if I'm Philly because Rose is on the books for $7.8 million next season of giving up a first-round pick. Maybe it's the OKC one where it's top 20 protected. It doesn't look like it's going to convey, but at the same time, Oklahoma City's a little frisky. Now they're they're suddenly closer to the sixth seed um, than they are in the West. Then uh, They're actually closer to the five seed, Dallas Mavericks, than they are the eight seed Spurs. So it's not impossible, I guess, that it, it wouldn't convey. Uh, maybe Detroit's willing to roll that dice, and if it doesn't convey, you get those two future, future seconds. Or Philly's pick this year. I mean, maybe. It's, it's, not, it's not an astronomical price to pay if you're Philly. The, the wonky shooting, though, or the shaky shooting would be what concerns me most for them. It's tough to see other teams that not, I don't want to say need Rose, but that would be willing to pay that type of value for him. I don't know the Clippers per uh, Yahoo Sports as Chris Haynes. And in addition to the Los Angeles Lakers, they've been teams that have inquired about him, including the Sixers as well. Those were the three he mentioned. I just don't know that Rose does enough for them. That would be of the three. I would say they're the team that needs him the least. Uh, just because you have Lou Williams, you pretty much can't play those two together. I guess if you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the court at the same time, the defense could survive. Uh, otherwise, that's not really an option. So unless the asking price comes down there, I'm not sure that he's the the best fit. And then you go throughout the rest of the league and there's just not... There's just not a team to me, at least, that stands out where it's, hey, they, they could use, use Rose. You know, maybe Miami a little bit if they're looking to um, beef up just the offensive creation. I, they just don't, they don't have the readily matching salary to do it. So you'd have to expand the deal. Maybe you include Tony Snell. And so that's how you get off of James Johnson's salary or, or Waiters' salary. But you, do you want to give up, let's say, Justice Winslow for a return of Tony Snell and Derek Rose? I honestly don't know. I'm also not sure what the Pistons are going to do at the deadline. Um, as has been reported multiple times, it seems like the Hawks and Pistons were close where Atlanta was going to send Chandler Parsons and uh, the Brooklyn Nets' lottery-protected first-round pick this year to Atlanta for Andre Drummond, but Drummond's contract demands are too high at this point. And so the Hawks, one, have cap space this year. So if they want to sign him and pay him later, they can definitely do that without having to give up a first round pick. I don't think he's going to have this immensely robust markets when you just look at how saturated the center position is in the NBA, particularly of those who don't space the floor. Um, I guess he's a fine rim runner. I actually kind of think he's overrated in that regard. And he's just not someone who's anchored these top tier defenses or having him on the floor. Hasn't always equated to an average defense. Not all of that's his fault. He's never been surrounded by the best quality of wings and definitely not the best quality of defensive guards. That being said, he's not going to be surrounded by uh, the best defensive guards in Atlanta. Trey Young is still one of the worst defenders in the league. Kevin Herter is fine, but uh, so you're still going to run into a lot of the same issues there. I don't know that there's another team that's going to be willing to come in and get Drummond. A lot of people have mentioned the Mavericks 
I don't know why they would do that. Tim Hardaway Jr. would almost assuredly need to be included in that trade, maybe work out something with DeLon Wright and Courtney Lee. Um, So there is that framework, but you're viewing him as a rental then because you already gave Kristaps Porzingis max money. You extended Dwight Powell for three years. Um, You have Boban on the books, I think, for two more seasons as well. And the same with with Maxi Kleba. It's fine if you sign another big, uh, especially when you don't know what Powell is going to look like upon return. But can you pay them that much money? No. And I don't, I get, he's not, Drummond's not going to defend fours for you. And that means he can't share the floor with Przingis. So we need the, the Steven Adams scenarios to Dallas, the Andre Drummond scenarios to Dallas. We, we need to let those peter out and die. Ditto for the Boston Celtics, who we've said multiple times in this podcast, just don't have the salary matching tools to get a, a deal of, of that type done. And so maybe the Pistons sort of look at this as, They'll risk it, see what Drummond's price point is in free agency. If it's too high, they just let him walk and save the money. Irregardless, uh, maybe there's appeal in keeping rooms if you're not getting a first-round pick because you still have Blake Griffin. And so he, if he's healthy next year, he's not going to be readily movable this summer. If he's healthy next year, you're not necessarily going to be in a position to be terrible organically. You would have to actively um, try to be bad. And, and so are you intrigued by having him play with with Derek Rose. That's something that I think the Pistons could look at. They'll throw in the towel this year, um, not make a ton of changes to the roster, see where they get with the draft pick, really work on um, Sekou Boya's development. I did not know, by the way, that Shvi could play defense like he has. He's not some top-tier defender, but he hasn't been a liability, and so now all of a sudden they have someone who can shoot the ball and hold his own on defense. They wait for Luke Kennard to get healthy. That's a scenario that they could look at, and maybe they end up keeping Derek Rose. I don't think it's a given that they become sellers. I, I don't think they're going to be trying to make the playoffs. Maybe they stumble ass backwards into it because the East is the East is the East and the Nets are playing terribly at the moment and, and reinforcements aren't really on the way for them. And Detroit's only three games back in the loss column right now. I don't even think the Magic have been playing better. I don't even know that they're a lock to make the playoffs. The East after the Sixers, who've not been great this year either. It's just, it's absolutely wild. Two more topics to get to here. Going in a nutshell, what's been happening in the world of the New York Knicks of late? They are going through a rebrand. Remember, Kevin Durant said they were not cool, so they're, they've hired a company to, to help them rebrand, whatever the hell that means, per the New York Daily News' Stefan Bondi. Maybe they're going to have James Dolan play the kazoo at halftime, but he's only going to play hits post-2015 or something on that kazoo with his band JG and the, JD and the, and the straight shot. I don't really know, but that seems... The Knicks don't need a, a rebrand. They need a new owner, definitely a new front office as well. Uh, I don't, a new logo, new, I, I just, I don't know. They could definitely stand to rebrand their social media, by the way. Folks, it's okay to have fun on social media. It's also okay to show the score when your team fucking loses. That is one of the things that just grinds my gears, is the teams that have been posting after losses uh, that it wasn't their night, and then they don't include the score. Like we all know the score; it's readily accessible. Like, let's stop now. It's cowardice. That it's you're cowards. I respect social media managers have some of the toughest jobs. I don't think people understand how hard they are. They're just twenty four seven, three sixty five. They're never allowed to unplug. But pet peeve of mine. Let's let's show the score and have a personality. The Knicks's Twitter feed zero personality, none, zilch, zip, sub zero personality. That's something they could stand. Um, to overhaul. At the same time, that's not going to change how shitty they are on the court and how directionless they are. They have not prioritized development of their kitties. You could argue that there's not a prospect worth 
um, developing to that extent where it's giving him minutes above everyone else. I still believe in Neil Aquina, uh, and just the impact he has defensively and the nights where he's aggressive on offense, even when he's not hitting shots, he does look really well. RJ Barrett's injured at the moment, way too soon to give up on him. Kevin Knox, that's a little questionable. Do you look to sell high on him? In that vein, uh, the Knicks are apparently interested in Malik Monk per SNY's Ian Begley. Of course they're interested in him because he's a guard who can't shoot and they don't have enough of those. Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to them getting him. It's just what are you going to give up? If it's Trier for Monk, that's fine, but that seems almost a little bit lateral uh, to me. The other thing, you could look at Kevin Knox for Malik Monk, viewing them as two distressed assets, but I think I I would say no if I'm the Knicks to that, just because Kevin Knox is a wing. He's shown that he can at least hit the three ball in the past. He's he's basically shooting negative 50% from the floor in 2020 um, and just doesn't look confident at all when he's on the court. Maybe that has something to do with the playing time he's not getting and the faith that he's clearly not receiving from the organization, but he has not been good, and he wasn't good last year either. I still think that that would be a little bit high of a price to pay when he has two more years on his rookie scale deals, opposed to Malik Monk, who only has one. Finally, with the Knicks, uh, this is also per Ian Begley, who wrote a fantastic piece at SNY going behind the scenes of what led to David Fisdale's firing and some stuff that's happened since, how shocked the players were during the process. Apparently, the organization, the front office, issued a playoff mandate, essentially, saying that the postseason was the goal, and this team was more than capable of making it before the season. That is some of the dumbest shit that I have ever heard. After striking out in free agency on stars that you assumed were coming, you looked at the roster after signing Marcus Morris, Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, yada, 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 and thought you were a playoff team. Whichever fans talked themselves into that scenario being feasible, I, I have some bridges I'd like to sell you. I hope you're willing to pay for it's just, that's mind-blowing to me, and that's not really a case of the, the organization trying to rah-rah and, and get their guys engaged. You could imagine the Knicks in Tarrytown, a zillion miles away from where they actually play um, in Madison Square Garden, or a zillion minutes, I should say. Steve Mills up there deadpanning that they need to make the playoffs because this is a team that they built to make the playoffs. And you know what? The Knicks have been coached, by and large, like a team that was operating under such a mandate. So that's just that's batshit crazy to me. And I, I don't think it, it doesn't help the perception of the organization, which is already rock bottom, but maybe that's part of their rebrand, sending better messages to their players. It just, no one should have ever looked at this roster and thought they were going to make the playoffs. And now they're going to have to deal with the ramifications of the Christoph Porzingis trade. I've seen, not, I haven't seen like personalities, writers, um, really in tune fans say this, but it's been on Twitter where people are like, oh, Porzingis is too injured. There's a section of Nick's Twitter that think they made out better in that trade. Look, regardless of what happens with Christoph Porzingis from, from here on out, and I know there's the off-court stuff, him being accused um, of a sexual assault uh, while he was in New York. That stuff, just putting aside, looking at basketball uh, value, you could have gotten more than you did for him at the deadline if you weren't so dead set on getting cap space. And so now you're left with Dennis Smith Jr., who looks like you're going to sell for pennies on the dollar if you even move him at all. And it does not look like he's a part of that future. And then two first round picks that at this rate are going to fall in the late twenties, no matter what Porzingis is in Dallas. And he has struggled. He has missed time. There should be concerns about his health long-term. The point is if you weren't prioritizing cap space in that scenario, you could have gotten more than that. 
And and so you have functionally lost the Kristaps Porzingis trade. It was clear at the time. The only way that they could have won is if they got both Kyrie and Kevin Durant or two two superstar free agents. Maybe it was Kawhi Leonard who they canceled the meeting, yada, yada, yada. They So that's just, let's not have that take. And I'm not going to spend more time on that. So the Knicks continue to Knicks. Them and the Kings are duking it out for the NBA's worst organization. And the Chicago Bulls are looking on very closely and thinking about maybe they want to contend for it. Some people will mention Phoenix and Minnesota in there as well. I don't I don't think at this point, uh, there definitely are questions in Phoenix and even Minnesota. They, they seem... Un, unruly infatuated with uh, D'Angelo Russell at the moment. Still, Knicks and Kings, congratulations for uh, being the two finalists still in perpetuity for the worst organization in the NBA. Finally, this is not a trade rumor. Um, it can't be a trade rumor because it pertains to Bradley Beal, and after signing his extension, he can't be moved this year. I, I'm assuming there are people who've looked at his demeanor, some of his comments after losses this season. Uh, looked at how bad the Wizards have been defensively, how bad overall they've been with him on the floor, and thought, well, he'll definitely be moved over the offseason or he'll ask for out. Uh, Well, talking to NBC Sports Washington's Eric Myers, he didn't really intimate intimate that. Uh, He said renewing his commitment to Washington, which he called his second home, this is direct from the story, was about the initial connection, his legacy, and the chance for success with John Wall in the, in the future. Um, I respect that. Oh, sorry, this was from the Posted Up podcast with Yahoo Sports' Chris Haynes. I apologize for not having that in the notes. It's via NBC Sports' Eric Myers. I, he, Beal effectively also goes on to say that given how important uh, he is to the organization, that that's why he wanted to stay. And he quotes... When talking about why he signed the extension or why he didn't request a trade, he said, honestly, I thought that was kind of the easy way out. It'll feel more meaningful and powerful knowing that I grinded it out doing it in D.C. It's pretty much my team. I'm the franchise here. So it was kind of destined for me to kind of mold it from here. John Wall's ears had to be burning when he said that. I know he's out with an Achilles injury. I'm not trying to drum up drama, but that's just a very interesting comment to to look at moving forward. How is it going to work between John Wall and Beal? I'm not even saying behind the scenes. I always thought the drama between them has been um, ex- exacerbated or, or hyperbolized is the better word for that. How is it going to work on the court if it doesn't look like it's Beal's team because Wall is still controlling so much of the offense when he comes back? Does he request a trade? Uh, that was just a very interesting comment for him to say. I'm um, I'm the franchise here, um, so you'll you'll want to check out that podcast he did with Yahoo Sports's Chris Haynes posted up. That is all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this solo pod. Uh, the ones in the future will not be nearly as long as this because they'll be mostly mailbags. Again, this was just basically an NBA news and rumor roundup and reaction pod. I wanted to put out something since. Uh, we couldn't get a guest on that was scheduled and because Andy wasn't available. Um, as always, please continue rate, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. You can do that wherever else you're getting your podcast, but we'd appreciate it most if you also do it on iTunes, even if you're not using it. And definitely be downloading all of our episodes. That helps us out as well. Follow us on YouTube. Search Hardwood Knox on YouTube. Follow our Twitter account at Hardwood Knox. You can follow me at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy at Andrew D. Bailey on Twitter, and the Blue Wire Podcast Network is at Blue Wire Pods. Until next time, because Andy is not here, I leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, Kyle Anderson, and absolutely 
no one else. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Root Metrics second half 2020 US report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.